um, mind thing where I can't preach the same sermon twice, especially in a day. So I'll preach three different sermons today. So if you want to stay the whole time, praise the Lord. But these are things that the Lord has put on my heart in the season that we're in spiritually as Christians, as men and women of God, things that we're dealing with as a church, as the bride of Christ. Um, these are things that are in the Word of God that, that are just screaming at, at the bride at the moment. Sometimes we have veils on our eyes and, and can't quite hear them, can't quite discern them, but sometimes God will speak them through somebody and that's all up to the Holy Spirit. And then you can hear and receive and walk then in the faith that God has given you. And faith is what we're talking about this morning. Um, this is a word that I, I remember coming back, I think, from Haiti and then California, um, maybe in December. And the Lord started, like it was like I felt He put His finger in my chest and poked me like this multiple times and was like, you need more faith. It, it, and He was like questioning my faith to me. And I, I was thinking as a missionary, I started going through, you know, the first thing you start doing is... is is your own defense. And I was like, well, Lord, I, I feel like I'm doing pretty good there. I, I've, I've done this and I've done that. And I felt you call in this direction. And I started going in that direction. And for days he said, you need more faith. You need more faith. You need more faith. To a point of brokenness. To a point of um, uh, uh, lostness. Wondering, Lord, what are you talking about? Like, what, what's coming that I need that so much more faith than I thought I already had? And he had to break me of what I thought that I had and what I thought I had a grip on and completely pour something else into me. So this morning, I'm gonna, I think I'm only going to read a couple verses of Scripture. First is in the book of Ephesians. And a lot of you um, saints that know the Word of God and that have been in the Word of God know probably where I'm going from there if I'm talking about faith. Um, we'll go to Ephesians chapter 6. We'll go to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. It says, Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by His vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil and in heaven. I think it's a good time to remember um, what we are as Christians, and it's that we are in a battlefield. And uh, many times we attempt to fight that battle in another way than spiritually. And um, God calls us to, to do that at times. God calls us to, to fight battles and it's not just spiritually, but first and foremost, if we're fighting that battle and we're not fighting this one, because essentially this is the first one that we will fight, the spiritual battle, the first one in your own heart, in your own home, in your own life, in your own calling, this is the first battle that you will fight. And God is saying to be prepared, be pre prepare yourself daily for this battle. And I think, I think as Christians, many times we go about our lives fighting all these battles and we forget about this one. We completely forget about this one, so we stink at the other ones. We fail miserably time after time after time after time at the other ones because we did not first 
think about the battlefield in our own hearts. Verse 13, chapter 6. This is why you must take the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist on that evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. He starts, he starts then to explain the full armor of God. Stand therefore with the truth like a belt around your waist. Righteousness like armor on your chest and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In verse 16, this is ESV, but it says, In every situation, take the shield of faith. And King James, I love that, that verse, it says, Above all, take the shield of faith, and with it you will be able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. So it, it, you have the full armor of God. And God gives you your helmet. God gives you your belt. God gives you your sword. God gives you your, your sandals. And he says, above all those things that you know, and these are things to protect you. Your helmet is to protect you. Your, 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 your belt is to protect you and to hold the things in. Your sword is to protect you. But above all those things, there is one thing that actually protects the things that are going to protect you. And that's the shield of faith. The shield of faith is the first line of defense. The first thing that the enemy is going to come up against. The first thing that the fiery darts of the enemy are going to attack you have to have that shield of faith. They, I can go into the size of the shield of faith. Uh, a lot of people think that depending on what country was fighting, it could be the size of a door. It could be much smaller than that. But regardless, they will have had to known how to use that shield in a way to protect their whole body. You don't want, even though we have the helmet of salvation, that, we don't want to take a hit on the head right off the bat, do we? We want to have the shield of faith and run in with the shield of faith. God is preparing us for, for a battle that we have to understand that we ourselves cannot fight. We ourselves cannot fight. We cannot endeavor into this battle and expect victory without the Lord having ordained it. So God says, take that shield of faith. Above all, everything else he, he reads here that Paul mentions here says, above all, this is the thing that protects the rest of your armor. Now turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Some of you, you saints out there that know the word are like, man, typical, typical, Jesse. You're talking about faith and you're turn Ephesians 6 and Hebrews 11. Well, I can't help it. I'm sorry. What an awesome verse. What an awesome chapter this is. We'll go to Hebrews chapter 11 verse 32. And what more can I say? Time is too short for me to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah of David and Samuel and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lion, quenched the raging of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength after being weak, became mighty in battle, and put foreign armies to flight. Brother Steve, will you stand up and just pray for me, brother? Pray for this word. Yes, Father.
that does not have a personal relationship That's right. with the Lord Jesus, that they would come to him this yes. day. I pray, Father, that you would be glorified Jesus. and blessed by everything that's done in this place, Father. And I just pray that you would protect us, Father, from the, the evil one. Yes, Lord. All this, Lord, I do pray humbly in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Steve. The shield of faith. When we think about a shield, I think that we have a conceived mindset of how something like that is supposed to work. But Paul speaking this back then, we'll say that, he, that Paul wrote Hebrews. Um, everyone around him knew what he was talking about. Everyone around him understood the, the use of the shield and what it meant and how important it was. And when we think of the shield, we think of a defensive weapon, don't we? As in we think of, this is not a thing that we're, we're used to. You think of the sword as, this is what we're going to get the job done with. And this is just going to allow me, this shield of faith is just going to allow me to, to use the sword and, and use my other offensive weapons. That is to a point true. And the first person that comes to mind um, using the shield of faith, and we'll talk, we'll call this section of it faith on your heels. I know some of you people that, I, that have played sports and played football and basketball and anything, when you, when you know you have the defense on their heels, it means that they're stepping back. It means that they've taken a blow and they're on their heels. They're not pressing forward. They're not gaining ground. They've been pushed back and they're in a place of defense. And I think of Joseph as a young man. God started pouring dreams into him and and helping him understand, I am going to bless you. I'm going to put you in such a position that people around you are going to be under you and they're going to answer to you. As a very young man, he promised that to Joseph. This is in the book of Genesis, I think chapter 37. And he says, I'm going to have my hand on you your whole life. His brothers hated him. Everyone was like, this kid is a spoiled brat. But God had his hand on Joseph. And he did every single thing right. But it it never mattered. He always ended up as this guy holding the shield of faith, getting knocked back on his heels. Very first, he's doing the right thing, and his brothers turn on him and throw him in a pit. He can do nothing but sit in that pit until he gets pulled out of the pit. Oh, praise the Lord, he's out of the pit, and then he's sold into slavery. He has no control. There's no forward motion in Joseph's life at this time. He continues to seek the Lord. It says he continues to seek righteousness. And he had a good attitude. And then he gets to become a a kind of a higher servant in Potiphar's house. For years. And and people, people held Joseph up as a man of God and someone that can be trusted. And then Potiphar's wife turns on him. And it says that they threw him in the dungeon. This is a man of God thinking since he was a young man, he has done nothing wrong. He has done nothing wrong. If someone could point at him and say that he did something wrong, maybe it was to tell them the dreams that he had. Maybe that was the worst thing he ever did. And he's down in that dungeon, they say, for 10 to 13 years. 10 to 13 years. And do you not think that he's thinking, God promised me when I was a young man that he was going to touch my life. And look at me now. Boy, I'm gaining ground, aren't I? I'm sitting at the bottom of this dungeon with the cockroaches. Where is God? 
Where are the promises of God? But it never once said that Joseph lost faith. It never once said that Joseph lost faith in what God had told him. He could not gain ground. He's, he's holding back. He's down in a dungeon. He's down in jail. Everyone has turned on him. Everyone that he's trusted from his brothers to the people that he worked for completely turned on him. And he can do nothing at this moment but hold on to that shield of faith and take it. Nothing but hold on to that shield. I'm also reminded of David. 1 Samuel, I think, around chapter 21. He has the promise of God of being king someday. And I'm sure he could see it after he slayed Goliath because there was no one that slayed Goliath, a giant, before David did. David was a young man. And after David slays Goliath, he's at the king's table. He's friends with the king's family. He's doing all these things right. And then one day, Saul's sick of it. Saul's sick of hearing all these good things about David. And he's going to come after him. And David ends up on the run from his own country and ends up in the place of his enemies. And he actually comes up to one of the leaders and they realize who David is. And they're like, oh, we're going to kill you. So he starts acting crazy. He starts slobbering down his face and writing on the walls and stuff. In that moment in time, I wonder if David is like, I'm going to be king of Jerusalem. I don't think so. I think in that moment in time, he's questioning, what did I do? Where did I go wrong? But the truth is, sometimes you can follow the Lord and follow the callings of the Holy Spirit. And all you can do is hold on to that shield of faith. Sometimes you will be down in the dungeon and God will take you there. There was not a thing that happened to Joseph that God did not allow to happen. There was not a thing that happened to Job that God did not allow to happen. There was not a thing that happened to King David that God did not then allow to happen. So when you're down there and all you can do is hold on to the faith, this is Hebrews chapter 10 verse 23. It says that we hold on fast to the shield of faith because we believe that He is faithful who promised. He is faithful who promised. Sometimes we don't have a choice but to hold on and take it. And take it. And take it. Don't let go though. It says hold on. It says stand fast like something's attempting to take your faith away. Hold on to it. It doesn't say just gingerly kind of just drape it around your arm. It says hold on to that. Don't let that thing move. You can be dropping pieces of your armor left and right. But if you have your shield, if you have the shield of faith, you're going to be able to stop the fiery darts of the enemy. I will say, this part of faith is the most common in the church. I'm not saying this is a bad thing. This, part, this kind of faith is for sure the most common in the bride of Christ. As in, when I say, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think I am. When I say faith, most of you are going to think sitting back at a moment and allowing the Lord to do His thing. This is not a bad thing. This is a thing that God does. This is a time that we have to ourselves and we can do nothing else. There's a time for that. But the, I will say this, that is a season. That is a season. When we use faith the rest of our lives, we d please don't use it as that only. 
When someone calls you, when God was calling me to be more faithful, I did not think that He was meaning to sit back more. He may be telling you that at some point in time. Listen and discern what God is saying in that season. But when He said that to me, I did not think He was saying, sit back and just take it right now. Because there's more than one way to use that shield. And this would be, I would say, faith on your toes. As in, we are leaning forward with this shield. We are moving into the attack with this faith. We are doing something now. We've had this time. We've had this time to where we're covered up. We can't bring, any, we can't bring forth any land. We can't conquer any inches. So we're getting pushed back. But there's a time when God is going to say, I want you to then take a step of faith. As in, I want you to move forward and you may not have anything around you that makes you comfortable. You may not have anything around you that lets you know that I am promising this. In Genesis chapter 15, God speaks to Abram. At that point in time, he was Abram and says, I'm going to give you an offspring and you're go- it's going to go outside and look at the stars because it's going to be like that. And he says, how do I know, Lord? God says, I am your shield. I am your shield. And immediately, Abram knew what he was talking about. He says, I have to have faith in God and that is it. So, it, it says in Hebrews that Abraham, Abraham went out of the land that he knew into a foreign land with his family, with his servants. We have to understand these things. He didn't like pick up, call a moving company, move across town to a new house. The moving company came in. This was a big ordeal. This was a big ordeal. Him and his wife, his servants, his, his wife's servants all got up their things in the place where they knew who sold the grain, they knew who sold the fish, they knew where the wells were, they knew they were protected, and they're like, we're going over here because God said so, and I don't know a thing about it, so don't ask me about where we're going. And God and Abraham got up and moved in that direction. We have to take steps of faith sometimes. And sometimes you want confirmation after confirmation after confirmation. I will say, there are many people in here that, that ha- to claim that have known the Lord for a long time. There are many people in here and saints that I know that know the Lord. We, you need to be discerning of the voice of God. At the very first of a, of a Christian's relationship with God, you're going to ask for all those confirmations. He's going to reaffirm you. He's going to reaffirm you. He's going to reaffirm you. But there comes a point where you have to then know that's God speaking to me. I don't want to wait. I don't have to wait for five years for, of confirmation. I know the voice of God. This faith is something that is practiced. This faith cannot come overnight where you're like, oh, I'm taking a huge step of faith out of nowhere. No, this, this faith is inches and inches and decisions and decisions and decisions. I think of Caleb and Joshua. Numbers chapter 13. Caleb and Joshua were two of 12 spies that went into what God called the promised land. The place that Moses took them all out of to go there because it's awesome. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's beautiful. There's grapes, huge grapes, everybody. If you love grapes, you would love the promised land, right? And Caleb and Joshua were two of the twelve that came back. And they were the only two that said, we can do it. 
Everyone else said, yes, you're right, Moses. It's just like God said. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. There's all kinds of beautiful things there. But... The giants are there. The sons of Anak are there. And essentially, we don't think that we can do it. And what is awesome, if you read in Numbers chapter 13, Caleb stands up. It says that he quieted the congregation. And he says, we must do it. Not that we can, not that we, we might do it. We must do it. Has God not taken us through everything else He's taken us through? Did He not do what He do in Egypt? Did He not do what He do, did in the wilderness? We have to do this. We have to do this. We have to step into that land of giants and conquer it. And He says that later in the verse. I love Caleb. And it says this. It says that he got to see the promised land because he had a different spirit and trusted fully. And what God said. Trusted fully. You're telling me that millions of people, because of their attitude and because of their lack of trust in what God said, cannot see something. And because of my attitude and my trust in what the Word of God says, I can see it. I can access that because of my spirit and my full trust in the Lord. Is that not amazing? Is that not amazing? Some of us need an attitude adjustment. I wanted to say that so bad. I thought not to say that. I was like, you shouldn't say that, Jesse. That was the Holy Spirit. That was the Lord that did that. We have to trust Him like that. We have to trust Him like that to where God said it, we're going to do it. And is God not faithful? His promises are yes and amen. God will do it every single time. I don't care. Put all the chips in on the Lord, why don't you? Put them all in on the Lord. I don't care what your surroundings are. We get caught up in this situation going on right now and we're just down and we're like, yeah, there's giants everywhere. Where's the Caleb that says we have to do it? We have to proclaim the name of God and the blood of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and the power of the Holy Spirit. We have to do it. We have to do it. If we die doing it, who cares? If we die doing it, who cares? That's what we are called to do. Have you lost track of what you're called to do today? Have you lost track of what that shield means? Understanding that it was never you in the first place. And by the Holy Spirit, a man can come into all these things that we see in Hebrews chapter 11. It mentioned Samson. It mentioned all the judges. That they came into all these battles. It says they conquered kingdoms. They established justice. They... they Stop the mouths of lions. They did all these things. If we were to run into them in heaven and start a conversation with them, like a lot of times we think we can, and be like, Samson, how in the world did you do that? How did you come against the Philistines with a jawbone of a donkey? And how did you know that that was going to happen? Every single time he would give you an answer, he would say, by faith. By faith I did that. It wasn't my own might. We understand that. If I was preaching righteousness today, I would not ever mention Samson. He's for sure the one that I would not mention during, uh, unless I was telling you what not to do, right? God told him not to do three things and he did all three of them. And completely messed up his anointing. But I tell you this about Samson. Every time he went out, even after, listen to this. Even after staying all night with a Philistine woman, 
He got up and picked up the gates of the city that were like 3,000 pounds and, and ran them like 20 miles. God anointed him the day after he did that. So you can't tell me that God is not greater than some things that we do. The guilt didn't hold Samson back. I'm telling you that right now. Unfortunately, he could have spent some more time at the altar. But he got the Word from God and he understood that God is faithful. He understood regardless of what I do, God is faithful. Obviously up until the point that he broke the promise on the third time with Delilah. But every single time, God will show up. God will show up in your life. I don't care if God's calling you to start a Bible study, to start a business, to quit this business, start another business. There are things that you cannot explain. This is, this is the part that, that, that we've lost as, as an American Christian is the, the, the unknown mysteries of God. The things that God can do things outside of what Dave Ramsey said or this guy said or this guy said. God can do things outside of all that. I'm only talking about the Word of God today. This is what the Word of God says. This is the thing that we hold on to. And from the beginning of time, God has enjoyed doing things outside of what we thought could be accomplished. If you think that you can accomplish it, that's, that's not faith. And God's probably not calling you to do that. Where we initially mess up is we will go toward what God is calling us to do. And we'll think, <clears throat> if that fails, this is our mess up, guys. If that fails, I'm going to make sure I have something to fall into. Maybe two or three things. The Lord doesn't like that. The Lord won't use that. He, he won't do it. Because you're, you're counting on your, your own faith and essentially you are dishonoring God. You are dishonoring God by doing that. He says, I want you to step this way. I do also realize many times I've speaking, spoken, my goodness, you guys are so lucky. What an English major I am. <laughs> many times I've spoken to a dozen and sometimes thousands. And I, I know every single time, I'm not speaking to everybody, but there's a handful of you in here that no, I'm speaking to you. The Lord is speaking to you this morning. And you've been waiting for a sign that tells me I need to take this step of faith. Another sign of this is you get into the Word of God. And it does not matter if you wind up in Chronicles and you're reading about the begots. Every time you get into the Word of God, God has got something in your face. He's saying, He's telling you something. And it has nothing to do with the begots. It has nothing to do with salvation. It has nothing to do with whatever. God is, every time you get there, He's like, boom, Jesse, do this, do this. And it feels heavy on you. That's the Lord speaking to you. You should take that as confirmation. That like, if you're waiting for a sign, this is it. This is it. God is telling you to do that thing. Take that step of faith. Hebrews chapter 11 is awesome. I read to verse 32 to verse 34. And it, it just spoke of big victories. Big victories. That's, an, that's another thing. These victories will happen. As in, 
Inherently, inherently, if you take steps of faith that God calls you to take, you will be victorious in that area. You, will be, you have the promise of God of being victorious in that area. I mentioned Caleb. He went to the promised land. He was old. I would have been very mad at the rest of Israel because it took him 40 more years before he ended up there. He had a good spirit even then. He said, I'm as young, I feel as young now as I was back then. I don't know if that was true, but he thought so. So praise the Lord. These next verses, though, are something else. Verse 35, it says, Women receive their dead raised to life again. Some men were tortured, not accepting release, so that they might again, or gain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins, in goatskins, destitute. Afflicted and mistreated, the world was not even worthy of them. They wandered in deserts, mountains and caves, and holes in the ground. All these were approved through their faith. But they did not receive what was promised since God had promised something better for us so that they would not be made perfect without us. As we say, it's Paul written that's writing this. I believe that too. I believe that too. If, if you look at the writings of Paul and you, you see how it's written and the, the knowledge that a Christian that wrote that would have had to have of the Hebrew culture to write even that verse Read all of chapter, Hebrews chapter 11. It's an amazing dissertation of the Old Testament and what God did. A normal person could not have done that. But I'm reminded of Acts chapter 7. If indeed this was Paul. It says in Acts chapter 7 there was a man named Stephen. The disciples had gone out. And they were going out preaching the gospel, seeing God move, huge moves of God everywhere they went. And they said, we need some guys here that are full of the Holy Spirit, that know the Lord, that know the Word of God, that understand Christ, that understand salvation, to take care of widows and orphans. And Stephen was one of those guys. And everyone knew who Stephen was because he was so well-spoken. And he was a man of God. And he was anointed. And if you go back and read Acts chapter 7, it looks a lot like Hebrews 11, to be honest with you. And it says that as he had given this great dissertation about God, about the prophets, about Moses, and then pointed it to Jesus, pointed it to the resurrection and the, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, all the Pharisees and Jews, it says they start stoning him. It says they attacked him immediately, all in one accord. And it says there was a young man there named Saul of Tarshish. And they were throwing their coats at him, and he was holding, just holding their coats up off the ground while they would stone Stephen. Brick after brick, rock after rock, hitting Stephen in the face, hitting Stephen in the shoulder, hitting Stephen all over the place. And Stephen could come up with two things to say. He said, Lord, receive today my spirit. 
and he would say, don't hold this charge against them. As he's getting hit with bricks and rocks, do not hold this charge against them all the way until the moment that Stephen dies. And the man that wrote this verse was a young man standing right there and watched the whole thing. And we see in the, the book of Acts that Saul is on the, way, on the road to Damascus and God shows himself to Saul. But I wonder if that young man, his whole life, his whole time as a Pharisee, more or less a bounty hunter for Christians, he would travel and get people that would not stop talking about Jesus resurrecting from the dead and he would take them back to Jerusalem and they would kill them or imprison them or whatever may have you. That was Paul's job at this time, Saul. And I cannot, it, it's almost like he could not forget that day that Stephen was being stoned. He could, I'm sure it was running through his mind time after time after time again that this man, I don't know how he's doing it, but he loves us and we're killing him. He loves us and we are killing him. To the man that wrote the biggest percentage of the New Testament that we honor so much as being Paul, the man that was shipwrecked, the man that was beaten by Jews and Gentiles and Romans and Greeks and traveled the world preaching about the resurrection of Christ, it was not Samson that struck a chord in his heart. It was not David killing Goliath that wrecked him at night. It was these guys. It says the world was not worthy of them. The world was not worthy of them. I read this for two months every morning and cried every single morning. It's like a king that brought his daughter as a princess and looked for a suitor for her to marry. And they could not find one. They could not find one able to have married royalty. And God says, come back home because you can have this kingdom. They're not worthy of you. That's who touched Paul's heart was Stephen and was Christ. Are we willing to be those people to have that kind of faith to where it says that even Moses, he says that he left the things of Egypt and the comforts of Egypt and, and desired a home that he could not have. It was a heavenly home. It was a place that we could not see. Are we there, Fairview, to where this shield of faith, we're using it as a defense. We're using it as an offense. But these guys have picked it up and turned it sideways and hit the enemy with it. We so, so have confidence in the shield of faith and Him who is faithful that we will go about whatever the Lord calls us to do to glorify Him. Have we been there? Are we seeking the Lord to that degree? of whom the world was not worthy. I think I know some men like that. There's not very many of I am not one of them. I am not one of them. Maybe the Lord will put me in that position one day, but I am not one of them. I'm I am attempting, I'm desiring to be. I don't have that I don't have that. I don't have that. But there are men that I've met in the world in in Nicaragua, in Kenya, in Nigeria, in the Philippines that have have nothing it, you know it's, a, it's different in this country because being a Christian um, can get you some places many times. Being a Christian oftentimes is a good thing. So the, discern, the, the thoughts of the heart, we don't know. God knows those things. If they're getting somebody somewhere, we don't know if they're even really a Christian or if they're doing it for the glorification of God. 
But I know men that have started two, three hundred churches in the mountains of Nicaragua. There's never been an American missionary come and help him. There's never been somebody with a bunch of money come and, and just start feeding in him. He understood what the gospel was. And he understood what having faith and the faithful one was. And he started battling. And they'll die in a little bitty house. And they will, they will have had many, many victories. Thousands of victories over sin, over the flesh, over, over attacks from the enemy. Thousands of victories. The world was not worthy of them. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, I thank you for you who are faithful, Lord God. I thank you for your spirit today, Lord God. I thank you for your anointing. I thank you for your word, Father. How profound is the gospel, Lord God, that you would send your son to die for us. And the grace that was given to Samson, the grace that was given to all those men and women, we need every single bit of it. We need every bit of the blood that was poured out on that cross and the blood that was poured out when you were beaten. We need every single bit of it, Father. Forgive us, Lord God. Lord, I I pray for myself this morning. Forgive me, Lord God, for not wielding the shield of faith to the degree that you called us to, Father. Lord God, forgive us to only be on the defensive sometimes, Lord God. Maybe we didn't know. Maybe I didn't know, Father, and we just sat and... And, and took blow after blow and shot after shot. And you gave us a break so we can start gaining ground. Lord God, and we did not take steps of faith sometimes, Father. Lord, but I do thank you again for your grace. I thank you again, Lord God, that you are forgiving, Lord God. And that, that you will not give us a mountain that we cannot cross, Lord God. So oftentimes, you may not allow us to have that battle again so we don't have to answer for it one day and that's grace I thank you Lord for that grace give us the wisdom Lord God give us the the knowledge of the shield of faith Lord God and how to use it to glorify your son and only your son Lord God thank you for his blood and we thank you Lord God for your presence in this place today in Jesus name Amen We're going to do an altar call, it looks like. If anybody, if anybody does not know the Lord, and this spoke to you, as in maybe God was working beforehand, maybe God was doing something in your life beforehand to where you want a deeper relationship with the Lord, and you want to take those steps of faith, the altar is open for you to pray today. If some of you do not know the Lord, as in you do not have your own relationship You've come to church for years. You've maybe come to this church for years. And you want a relationship with Christ today. That's where all these things start. We can't put on the full armor of God if we don't even know Him yet. Get to know the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I'll I'll allow the the altar to be open as as long as you guys play. And then then if you will close in prayer, that would be great.